Good morning. If you got your Bibles with me, turn with me to 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. As we make our way through Paul's letter to a, a local church. And uh, if you make sure that you've got some notes here, they're in the back. There's a Bible back there as well. And uh, just to remind us as we find our place in 1 Corinthians 6, just sort of our normal pattern of what we do. We pick sections of the Bible and we study all of it. And so I didn't pick to talk about whether we should sue each other today. The Bible picked it. The Bible deals with everything that goes through on in normal life. And we find ourselves at a letter. Remember, this is a whole letter. If someone wrote you a letter and you got it in the mail, it's almost like this morning we meet every week and we just read a little portion of that letter. And so to understand it, we really got to understand the whole letter. This letter would have been written in its entirety and should be read in its entirety. But I've got a new timer and, and we got a new TV or other TV be burnt out and they got a new, new big TV and it's got a timer on it about that big. And when I run out of time, it goes red and I don't know if Mike could put a bucket up here to dump water on me, get me to be quiet, but we'll see when I run out of time because I always do. And uh, this is God's word and it's good. And the reason I don't give you a 15-minute devotional every Sunday because of this, brothers and sisters, is the Word of God to you. And is worthy of my study and is worthy of our hearing this morning. And so let's stand to our feet and give it the reverence it's due this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. Verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, this is a Good news, this is sobering news, this is real news, Lord. Thank you that you speak so plainly to your people. When we have conflict with each other, we don't have to scratch our head and say, what must we do? You have spoken today. And so, Lord, teach us how to deal with conflict 
Give us the mind of the cross today. Give us the mind of your son today. Help us. This is real. This is in our life. We're going through this, many of us right now, or we will go through it tomorrow. So help us, Lord, we pray. Give us your wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Disputes. If you've been in business very long, especially if you've been in a big business, if you've been in management, you've probably had to go to a seminar about how to resolve conflict. This is what's going on in the text today. Conflict resolution is our reality. It's a problem for all of us because we're all in relationships with other people. I wonder if anybody could be honest this morning. If you have been married or you are married or if you will be married, this is going to happen to you, just fair warning. You wake up one morning, I'm not going to say when it happens, you'll just wake up one morning and realize that for the rest of your life, that person's going to be there, right? I mean, you get up and go to the bathroom, where are you going? Remember that happened for the first time? I'm going to the, I've never had to tell somebody that, you know. Oh, I remember the first time my wife was teaching. Of course, I've worked in a machine shop for 30 years. I wanted a new truck. So I got off work one day, went down to South Carolina, and bought me a truck. I thought she'd be happy when I got home. When she got home, I said, guess what? She said, what'd you do today? What'd you do today? I was like, I bought a truck. It was the first time I realized I probably should have communicated that before I bought that truck. We had a conflict. (laughs) This is reality. This is our life. We live closely with people. Within six months, five years, 20 years, problems are going to start to emerge. This language is going to start happening. They always and they never. I need. That becomes our favorite phrase. I need you to do this. I need this. I need that. This is. If that happens, I tell you this in love because me and Christina have been there and you will be too. You need a counselor. You want somebody to help you because here's the reality. These conflicts that we have are only symptoms of a greater internal issue. Every marriage, every close relationship, anything that is worth having is hard and we all have conflict. So how do we deal with it? Such is true in the marriage is true in the church. And look, if you look at verse 1 today in our text, you see it's only a matter of time when grievances come. (laughs) It's going to come. It comes specifically with the local church. The devil hates the family. He hates the marriage. He hates the church. And so there are his favorite places to attack. I'm just going to be honest with you because we're family in here this morning. The local church, by and large, is so unhealthy because every time we have conflict, we simply divorce ourselves from each other and go join another one. And listen, if we all did this in our marriage today, America would go down the tubes overnight because so goes the family, so goes the country. And within the local church, brothers and sisters, we need to own it. The fact that every time we get upset, we just pack our family and move somewhere else. And brothers and sisters, this is sin. This is why the church is unhealthy. We are family. And what does it do to the children when because of conflict we just pick up and move away? This is important. This is the context. How do we do life together? Right? 
That's the real question. We all struggle with it. How do we do life together without quitting each other? The we here in the text today is the church. And so it's really hard as individual Americans not to read the Bible through the lens and through the perspective of me. But Paul is writing to a local church, and so the we is the church this morning. A couple of distinctions as we get started. The Greco-Roman court in that system was corrupt. It was well known. Non-Christian writers even wrote about it in that day. They were, they were corrupt. And remember, the Greco-Roman culture was a class system. The elite wealthy and the poor. Guess who got the upper hand in court? The rich people did. <laughs> not, a lot of change, not a lot has changed. A little bit has. That was, that was their reality. The Bible is not speaking of criminal, it's speaking of civil this morning. So when it says lawsuits among believers, you are suing each other, it's speaking of civil court, taking each other to court over money and property and land and debts and things of that nature. There's another distinction that needs to be made. This is not, we've already spoke about abuse a few weeks ago, this is not talking about seeking justice for the defenseless. This is trying to avenge yourself of wrongs done to you within the context of the community of faith and relationships. For Paul, this is unbelievable. This is our three points. For Paul, this is unbelievable, but avoidable. And so he gives them a sobering warning, but he motivates them with the, his, their gospel identity. So that's our outline today. First, look at verse 1. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Look at what he says. He said, do you dare... Do you dare go to law? He just, it was unfathomable for him that they, were, that they were taking each other to court. Now, is Paul saying that he hates civil authority? Is, he, is that what he's saying? No, Paul can't say one thing in Romans 13.1. He says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. You remember when Paul was arrested, he appeals to who? To Caesar. He's speaking of civil. Most likely, most people believe this is simply another case of the rich oppressing the poor. And yet, and we would expect it amongst unbelievers, but it's happening within the context of the local church. He gets their attention with these words, saint. He said, dare you go... For justice, right? For a righteous judgment to unrighteous people and not to what he calls, look at you see it, saints. Saints, he calls us saints. Now who are the saints? These, these people that certain people pray to? No, no. If you're a child of God, you're a saint. That's what he's saying. To the saints, to us, to the church. To those who have been set apart. So this is really important this morning to understand. Take my glasses off. Everybody's going to get fuzzy. See, I can't even see my, my notes here. The Christian operates from a pair of glasses, from what we call a worldview, or you could say from a perspective. We do, and so as Christians, this is just reality, whether you're a Christian or not. If you're going to engage a Christian, they have a set of glasses on. I can see it now. The magnification in those glasses are governed by something. You need to understand this this morning. This is why he's 
He's just shocked that the worldview of a Christian is governed by the gospel, by the love of God, and by the lordship of Christ. By the gospel, by the love of God, and by the lordship of Christ. This is the way we see life. This is our perspective because it is God's. And so life inside Christian community, inside a family of faith, should be a stark difference to the world outside. He, he uses rhetorical questions and sarcasm to this whole thing to make his point. I've said that before. I can, I can get sarcastic sometimes. So I appreciate this when he makes his point saying, are you serious? But this is what he's saying. He's saying, don't you know? He says that over and over in this section. Don't you know? What he's doing here, and this is, this is, this is the wisdom of Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He uses a greater to a lesser argument. You see what it is? So they're, they're squabbling amongst themselves. They're getting mad. They're taking each other to court because someone did something wrong to them. And he, he uses this greater argument. You see the question in verse 2? Do you not know that the saints, believers, will judge the world? That might be news to somebody this morning, huh? Look at what else he says. Third question down. Verse 3. Do you not know that you are, we are to judge angels? In other words... If you don't know a little bit about the end times of what's coming, it's, it's hard to even understand his argument. This is just the reality. But listen, now they start delving into that, and we're not going to, misses his point. He's simply saying, this is what's coming in the future. Our future judgment, our future inheritance, our, all these wonderful things. But you need to understand something. Most believe when he's using this argument, he was referring to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 says it over and over within that chapter. In Daniel 7 verse 22, he's prophesying about that which is to come. He says in verse 22, Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. That's what's coming in the future. That's what he's referring to. Don't you know that we are going to possess a kingdom? There's going to be judgment. There's actually going to be reigning. And he goes down to the lesser. So are you serious? We're arguing about these things. Most people also believe that Paul is drawing from his lesson is in Exodus 18. Exodus 18, verses 21 to 22, that whole chapter, remember, you remember this. You remember that the children of Israel had got up in, in the wilderness and, and, and said, that dude is driving me nuts, or he stole my chicken, or he stepped on my goat, or something. You know, and every little thing, they were bringing it to Moses. You remember? And so Jethro comes up to him and said, boy, if you don't do something, you're not going to make it. So verse 21, Exodus 18 says, Moreover, look for able men from among all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people of chiefs of thousands, hundreds, and fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. So listen to what he's saying. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matters they shall decide themselves. So this is the basic principle that the Jewish people understood and practiced in their culture already. 
He uses this term, trivial cases. Not trivial to the people who are in the fight. <laughs> it's trivial in light of the greater. Do you see that? You can only understand it's trivial when you understand that we will reign and we will get a kingdom. Until you understand that, it may not be trivial. The situation is this. And it happens all the time. You hire an electrician, an electrician is a member of the church. And they work on your house, and they make a royal mess, right? Fries your whole wire, fries your panel, and you got to get a new one. You go back and you tell them, man, you made this mistake. He said, I didn't do anything wrong. I did a good job. What you going to do, right? They may have just made a $10,000 mess in your house. What are you going to do? See, that's real life right there. That's, this is what he's talking about today. How are you going to deal with that? We're going to sue him. That's what the culture said. This is what Paul is saying. No. You've got to work from the greater to the lesser. What is he saying the reason they can't do it? Verses 4 to 6. Paul was using this line of thought to point out that they lack godly wisdom. This runs through the whole letter. You think you're wise, but your life says you're foolish. Verse 4. So if you had such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I love verse 5. So I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? Verse 2, he says, are you really incompetent? This is about wisdom and the lack of it. You see, if you look at you got to put chapters 5 and 6 together. They judge when they're not supposed to judge, and when they're supposed to judge, they don't judge. <laughs> That's us, isn't it? I say it, I say it when I shouldn't say it. When I ought to say it, I don't say it. Follow Paul's logic. Paul is saying those outside of Christ have not been born again they do not have the Holy Spirit living within them. They do not have the revelation of who God is and what He does. They do not understand the cross and who Jesus is and what He did and what He accomplished. And how then shall we live in light of that? They don't know any of that. So why would you take the electrician who's a Christian to court to get justice? That's his argument. He's, here's his claim. That the lowest status person within the community of faith has been given all they need to help settle that dispute. In contrast to those outside. This is amazing. He says, can it be, verse 5, can it be? Do you really mean to say Paul's sarcastic? But what he's doing is he's not only pointing out their pride, but yet again this week he's pointing out their lack of wisdom. They are bankrupt. Because of their lack of love for each other. So get the point. Verses 1 to 6. The saints, the body of Christ, have been given the wisdom of God. And therefore should handle disagreements within the church community. This is simply what families should do. Paul's saying this, this is and should have been avo avoidable. It was an avoidable defeat. It's an interesting word. Verses 7, to have lawsuits with one another is already a defeat for you. You will have defeated. What does he mean by that? 
I use this illustration because it's been many years ago, and nobody knows this person, and they're not connected to this church. Did I say nobody knows this person? This was back when I taught growth group years, years ago. And as a growth group leader, this is just a practical. I'm teaching you something about Matthew 18, about church discipline, about this example right here, this situation. We had a couple that was having a baby. They came time to deliver the baby, and there was some kind of complications. Apparently, the, the baby doctor, who was a member of the church, did not have the, the approach in the bedside manner that, that they wanted him to have. A C-section became the only way to remove the child, and, and they didn't like it. They didn't like what happened. They didn't like the whole situation. He went into all this detail. He, would, he calls me up on the phone after the fact. He's furious. He's fussing, cussing. You know, it's one of those things you just try to put the phone down for a minute and say, okay, okay, give, he's still going, you know. Finally, finally gets through. Here's, here was his point. What do you think he said? I'm going to sue. So what did I do there, me and my brother? <laughs> I simply opened up God's word to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I said, you are a brother in Christ, and so is he. And the Bible says to take the loss. You've got your wife, and you've got your baby, and you need to move on. Now, he didn't like that. But that was between me and him. And it never went any further. And he didn't sue. And we moved on. You see that? That's the way we're supposed to do within the body of Christ. You see, there is the opposite word of defeat, and that's the word victory. And Paul's already laid this out. It's why Paul began where he began. There is a victory that is to be had from the cross-centered life. There is nothing worse than someone who says they believe in Christ, but who lives in defeat. The wisdom and the power that we need to navigate every conflict that we have has been found and received in the person of Christ and His work. In verse chapter 1, verse 18, He's already taught us about the theology of the cross. Do you remember? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's what? Power of God. The power of God. And then in chapter 2, verse 16, he goes on to say, For who has understood the mind of the Lord? This, this is what he's saying. You can't see it. The world can't see the world from God's perspective. They see it from their own. But here's what he goes on to say. But we have the mind of Christ. Changes everything. The theology of the cross and the mind of Christ. This is not just a word for the Corinthians. Do you remember what he said to the church in Philippi? Philippians 2, 5, 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And he died. And to the local church in Galatia, in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. That changes everything. It changes everything about me and the electrician, right? 
Why are they suing? Why would you sue? Why would you resolve conflict in a negative way? You want to win. You want your rights upheld, right? You want to be vindicated. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we need someone to clean our glasses. I always do that before I preach. And put them on so I can see clearly. Sometimes we are not seeing clearly. And we are going to be defeated. Our vindication happens on the cross. It is finished. The estimation of who I am has been settled. And it was settled on Calvary. And He's alive. I don't have to wonder what His judgment of me is. It is finished. I am His. Therefore, we must live like it. We have already won. I will not win by defrauding my brother or him defrauding me. It was Jesus himself who says in Matthew 5 and verse 39, do you remember it? Said a lot in that section. Matthew 5, 39, he says this, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if, ever, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him to the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Uh-oh. Jesus goes even outside the community of faith with this one, doesn't he? Lawsuits, according to Paul, are self-defeating. Take lawsuit out. Put mishandling conflicts. Mishandling a conflict are self-defeating. And no, I'm not talking about you. Paul's not talking that the self is you individually. He's saying the self is us collectively. Here's what he's saying. If Christian X sues the electrician, it is a defeat for the whole body of Christ. To damage one is to damage us all. To attack one is to attack us all. This is what he's saying. Three obvious reasons here he gives us in verses 7 and 8. The first one is it destroys the one another. The one another's of biblical community. Matters not whether it's in your family or is in the body of Christ. Its principle is the same. Look at what he says. Verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why rather not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Notice. Do you see the you there? It's a defeat for you. Is that singular or plural? Anyone want to guess? It's plural. It's not a singular you. You see, it starts, it's obvious, isn't it? To have lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Or if you're a southerner, you'd say, y'all. It's a defeat for y'all. All of us. You see, back to marriage, there is no more singular you. You have been joined to Christ. He's going to say next week, you have been bought with a price. We belong to each other. We're a family. And can I just say this because it's true this morning. To date the church is to destroy community. We are called by Jesus and saved into a body. And we covenant ourselves with each other. And when we have conflict, we stay together and we work it out. This is what Christians do. It destroys the one another. It also reveals our unrighteousness. Do you see that in verse 8? 
But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. So he's saying, you're worried about getting vindicated because they did you wrong, but by suing, you wrong. When Christians fight inside within the body of Christ, it reveals their self-centeredness, their pride, and their lack of concern for each other. The purpose of that, like we talked last week, is, to, is for repentance. He's not beating the church up today. You're going to see that in a minute. You remember Genesis 13, 8 and 9? You remember Abraham and Lot looked out at all the land? There was potential conflict, you remember? Abraham did what? Lot? Pick what you want, brother. I'll take what's left. How did that turn out? You remember the story. God takes care of his own. Here's the principle. Better to suffer wrong, brothers and sisters, than to, than to destroy community within the family of God. Better to suffer wrong. Why? Because God will vindicate everything one day. He will. God does not slumber nor sleep. He does not miss it when his children are hurt. He did not miss it when someone wronged you. He saw it all and he will vindicate it all one day, either on the cross of Calvary or the hell. Number three, this is probably more important to Paul. Paul within this has this flavor through the whole thing. This should be the flavor of our life. We want to resolve conflicts in the right way because it destroys the witness of the church. Verse six, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Paul loves unbelievers. Do you see this? We as the church love unbelievers we it matters how we live with each other and it matters how we live among them this is why we'd rather take a loss so you you ask the question okay we're talking about christians suing other christians well how about should i how do i resolve conflict with people outside of christ how do i how do i deal with should i sue people that they're lost that that wrong me we have to wrestle with number three, don't we? How is this going to affect our witness? What is it going to do to the name of Christ? We answer that question and we have our answer. Paul, with this, gives a sobering warning. A sobering warning. Look at verse 9. 9 and 10, you can't separate it. Now hang with me, okay? I didn't pick this section of Scripture. God did, Okay? Good news is coming, I promise. I promise it is. Just hang on with me. And I hope we don't go to the red here before I get to good news. Because if it is, I'm going into the negative. Verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's interesting. You see the word in verse 9, unrighteous? That could also be translated wrongdoer. What he's doing is referring back to verse 8. Remember, he said, you wrong your brothers. He said, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom? The Corinthians were Doing wrong and wrongdoing will not inherit. That's what he's saying. That's the simple, just read it. He's warning them. This is love. 
by the way. It's not hate to warn somebody that they're fixing to walk off a cliff. It's love. Stop. That's love right there. Unrighteousness. What does that mean? Wrongdoing. This is not for us because we're going to sin before we get out to the car. (laughs) You're going to sin against somebody you love before you get home today. It's true. This is a pattern of life lived in a particular direction. Their church, particular members of the church, are beginning to show a pattern that looks like the world and not like Christ. And so he warns them. Don't you know? Next week is going to be interesting because next week, here's what he deals with, is cultural blind spots. You ever wondered why people went to church in the South and they had slaves? We all have cultural blind spots. That's next week. He's basically just saying very clearly. He says this, by the way, this is not just a Corinthian thing. He says it in Galatians. He says it in Ephesians. It's talking about the seeds of our life of what we sow. What we sow every day. He's saying you're sowing wicked seeds. Notice the list. Listen, this list is important. I wish we had more time. This list is is custom built for the Corinthians in that culture. Interesting, the word homosexual there in the list is two words. It's dealing with what's going on culturally. The Greco-Roman issue of domination, which in their mind had little to do with homosexuality. They could dominate a servant. They could dominate little boys. That was part of the culture. He's dealing with that. He's also dealing with... With the homosexual lifestyle. He's, he's dealing with things culturally in that day. When he gives them this list. It's both moral and social. But here's the point today. If you're driving home today. And your car starts knocking. And you go to the mechanic. They're not going to give you a pair of earplugs. Right? Or say, you know, mine does that too. Just turn the radio up. You won't even hear it. No, no, no. The knocking is revealing an underlying problem in the car. And the only way we're going to get to it is to tear the car down and get to the underlying problem. Such it is with how we resolve conflict. When Christians sue other Christians, it is simply a symptom of an underlying problem. What is that? Good quote here. It is evident that among the members of the Corinthian church, there were some who retained their pagan notion of religion. And who profess Christianity, listen, this is good, as a system of doctrine and as a form of worship, but not as a rule of life. You see the difference? It is possible that someone have some unbiblical idea that the glasses are only for some kind of doctrinal belief of like we're putting a book on a shelf or the Ten Commandments on a wall, but it has nothing to do with the way we live. In other words, the underlying problem is that they're not living out the gospel they claim to believe. Their, their life is evidence of it. That's what he's saying. Hence the warning. Good news here. There's good news right here. First of all, living the gospel is a family affair. No, 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 you can't do it by yourself. That's why Christ died and gave us a family. You don't have to. That's why he's got the church. It's good news. We're heirs, brothers and sisters. This is what he's saying. We see that negative list. But believers, those righteous in Christ, are heirs to a kingdom. I tell my kids, 
They can spend their $5 inheritance however they want to. (laughs) Right? It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you leave. Luke 12.32 says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's good news this morning. Heard this in my doctrine class from someone in the church. I just I mulled it around. It just got better as I thought about it in the context of this. My God can make it rain while I sleep if He chooses to. That's good news. <laughs> in the context of this, I don't have to sue somebody to get my rights upheld. My King is the King of it all. And He always takes care of His kids. Listen to me today. The people you sit beside of, Battleground Community Church, is a gift from God to you. We, it is profound to me. I know what it costs for this church to be here. And I know what it's cost many of you. But understand this. We are a gift to each other. We are a love gift from the Father of God. We are a snapshot of heaven on earth. This makes it, this changes everything. I don't have a so what today. I just have a but you. I have a but you that's in this verse 11. It's so good. It's like, this is where we need to end today. How do you motivate believers? Do do I motivate you to say with verse 9 and 10, if you don't straighten up, you're going to go to hell. No, that's not his point. And if you got that today, you've missed his point. His point is verse 11 of how we motivate believers. You see, how, what happened inside of you when you read verse 9 and 10 is dependent on whether the Holy Spirit is in there or not. This is how we motivate believers. You see verse 11? And such were some of you. Remember the list? That's who you were. I love, look at the past tense. But such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. I do this several times. I don't do it as much the older I get. But I'll be getting ready to, to leave for work. And I'll set my glasses sometime, you know, it's down to, to get all ready. And I get to the end of the driveway and I'm like, what's the problem? You know, and all of a sudden I realize, oh, no glasses. Turn around, go get those things. Because life does not seem to make sense. When I think about that list, I am reminded of my great Savior, who saved a great sinner. I am not reminded of my present. I am reminded of my past. And I am reminded of the mercy of God. My present is in this text. My present is that I was washed. That's in the past. I was sanctified. That's definite right there. That's talking about cleansing from sin. And I have been declared righteous. That is not only my past. That determines my present. You're cleansed from sin. You're set apart. You're declared righteous. How? Well, let's let Peter tell us. I was going to explain this, but I can't do it better than Peter. Turn with me to Acts 10. And I'm almost done, but I'm going to go into red just a little bit. Acts 10. This is good, brothers and sisters. This is the gospel proclaimed in Scripture. Do you, if you remember, as you turn to Acts chapter 10, Paul had a vision. Do you remember the tent came down? All these, you know, 
a, a, a southerner's delight, all this barbecue and ribs and everything's on this blanket, right? And this Jew looks at it and goes, <gasps> and God said, kill and eat. He's like, uh-uh. I, give me some broiled fish. I ain't having no barbecue now. He said, remember what he said? Don't you call unclean what I've called clean. No, it's not about barbecue, right? How do we know that? Because the door knocked and a Gentile named Cornelius came to the door. And the gospel was shared and he was saved. And Peter, responding to that, says in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Now truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace of the, of, through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in the Gentiles, and after the baptism that John proclaimed, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we were all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, listen, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he that he is the one appointed to God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is who we are, brothers and sisters. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed through his name. Therefore, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you. You are also to love one another. By this the people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Brothers and sisters. There's the secret to resolving conflict. We must love one another. So how do we resolve conflict? We love for each other. We love each other while we live for Christ. So my, my plea this morning is threefold as we, before we pray. Is that you ask yourself, have you put your trust in Christ alone? Are you part of God's family? Have you committed yourself to a people of God? Because listen, it's not just about you anymore. It's about us. It's about life together. And listen, we're about to, in a minute, sing. And then we're about to pray we're about to think the fact that today is Orphan Sunday. Here's the point that both Peter and Paul is making out to be. If you get yourself stuck in conflict with people who seem to enjoy conflict, you are going to miss the mission of God and the purpose of your life. Make peace with those as it is possible for you. And after that, get on mission with God and find a group of people that love Jesus and love you. And let's get to work, brothers and sisters. We are here, and there is work to be done. Let's pray. Lord, we now have heard your word.
And we hope that we have been encouraged by it, that you care enough about us to see that Christ is formed in us and to correct it when it's wrong. And you did it in the church of Corinth and you do for us. And we thank you for that. But Lord, there's so much to be done in seemingly so little time. And so, Lord, field is wide and to harvest. Give us the labors to go into the field. We pray and we ask. As you are the God of the harvest. You are the one who calls the laborers. And so Lord we, we say. The foster care system is full. The orphanages are full. The homeless shelters are full. The drug rehab centers are overflowing. Those who have been abused or cannot count. And God, you have called us to be your son to them. Oh God, renew us with your spirit, Lord, today. Stir us, Lord. That we bear not just survive, but that we live in the victory that your son has purchased for us. And so now, Lord, we as your children love to worship you and sing to you. And so thank you for the gift of music. And Lord, respond not only in the worship of our mouths, but in the actions of our lives as we go. So receive our worship now and as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.